We are back, and this week we are zero G's. Quentin, how are you doing tonight? I'm I'm good. It is just so humid and disgusting outside. I really don't understand how people can be fans of the summer. This shit is gross. Yeah, I absolutely hate it. Hate the heat. Hate the summer. We are joined this evening by a uh, special guest. Um. Oh geez, I guess I mean Matt Feuerstein, right? And it's from throughout yeah. through the years. Matt, how are you doing today? Yes. Hey, yeah, I'm uh, one of the weirdos that likes the summer. So I um but uh yeah, no, it's 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 really hot. It's uh definitely uh I was I was telling you before we uh I was recorded. The heat wave has hit the northeast finally, and uh I think most people really don't like it, and it's dangerous for a lot of people, but I can't say that I mind it that much yeah all right i mean i guess some people like the summer i don't know why i i never got it but i did grow up in a place where it's even hotter than it is here yeah. where i'm at now in la so I think I maybe child childhood associations probably yeah. which um if you if you ever listen to my podcast nostalgia is like what my life is a wash-in so i guess that's probably part of why i like it so much i think i think for me it's like i grew up playing football so like the summer is when football workouts would start and like, I have no choice. I have to go out there and be in the heat. If I'm going to be football, going to be doing football practice, but it's just like, I think a whole childhood of just, just baking in the sun. I I just want nothing to do with it anymore. I think, I think your, uh, your point of view is shared by most people I know. So I think that I'm the weird one here. <laughs> no, I mean you hear people who are excited for summer. I mean, I guess if you're in the northeast or you're in places where it gets really cold and like I don't know if it snows where you're at at all, but if it snows and you deal with all that stuff, then it uh it used to I snow. It. I don't know if it does anymore, but it definitely <laughs> used to. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and Baltimore didn't snow at all in the winter, so like yeah. Well, that's fun. We got a ton of rain this year. I mean, obviously, everyone was talking about it, and uh, our summer really took a while to start. But I don't know why the fuck we're talking about weather so much here. Um, I guess this is I the classic small talk. This is the classic yeah. small talk of the world. This is <laughs> the weather. Man, so yeah. everyone loves weather. Um, uh, I guess we're here to talk about ROH Death Before Dishonor. That's the the plan. Um, I don't think there was anything else. Quentin, did you happen to check out Sea uh, Hash versus Natsapoy? No, I did not. I'm like super behind on everything, so like I haven't gotten yeah. to. I want I want to watch all this. I want to watch that, and um, like I know there's like Mia Momono stuff I want to see and shit like that. So I just I'm just like yeah. a lot of stuff. 
five star Grand Prix is starting. The, the little bit of clips yeah, I've seen exactly, from that exactly, looks really uh, good. Yeah, so I'm I'm just like missing on a lot of that stuff. Yeah, I haven't watched any G one. Um, I don't know, Matt. Did, did yeah, you have any C hashers? No, you haven't seen it. No, um, no, and I, would... I de- and I definitely haven't. I definitely haven't seen any G one. I feel like at this point, I'm just like gonna look at people's year end lists in like November, December, January, and try to catch up on some of the best matches at that point because I don't think I have time to watch the G one at this point. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'll just say I highly recommend that Natsupoy C hash match. Like, it's one of the few things that I got around to watching extra recently, and it was like, I mean, really fucking good. Like, you know, I was I was uh, really like taken by the Momo and C hash rivalry, uh, and even the Sar Sari and C uh, hash matches. But like, I mean, it's might be crazy to some people, especially like you know Korwu listening to this. But like, I think Natsupoy is like fucking better than both of them like really when it came down to it seeing her up against Hash, like just the best opponent i've seen her against like natsupoi is just so fucking good as a plucky underdog baby face high flying selling like all the little stuff that she does is just fantastic like highly recommended i think that that could end up on my match of the year list with just how much i enjoyed it it was it was really really good so i'd recommend people check that out um Did you ever get a chance to see? Like this is like a couple weeks old. Did you ever get a chance to watching? Uh, uh, get around to watching uh, Nakajima versus uh, versus Kento? Oh no! And I heard it's really good. There's been yeah, another like, Kento yeah, match since then, hasn't there? I'm not sure. Probably, I'm not sure. But yeah, yeah, like I like I'm just asking because we never really got a chance to talk about it, and I really liked it because I like Kento and like I like the whole like idea and story behind the match, even if it you know, can maybe be a bit much to some people, but I, I I thought it was really fun. I thought you might like it if you if you watched it. Yeah, I definitely would like it. You know what I you know what I heard the other day? It had never crossed my mind before at all, and then I heard it and I was like, I'm so fucking stupid. That Kento is Ken uh Kenzo whatever. Ah, why can't I think of it? And uh Hokuto, it's like a combination of um yeah, Ken Kensuke Sasaki, like it's Ken Ske and Hoka To, and that's how we got Kento oh, oh. <laughs> as his name. I had never yeah. thought of that before. Like and I was like, I heard someone say that and I was like, oh, duh, but it's like I always just think of Nakajima as like their kid, you know. I don't really ever think of Kento as how close he was to them. Um, yeah. That's, well. that's, that's really funny, actually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I gotta check that one out too for sure. Um Chris Brooks, did you hear about Chris Brooks winning the uh, the title? No, I did not. He won the DDT <laughs> title. Yeah, he won the DDT title from uh, from Yuji Hino. I wanted to uh, get around to checking that out, but didn't have didn't have a chance. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's uh, good, uh, good, good for him. Then that's, that's I'm, I'm, I'm happy about that. Good for him. Yeah, me too. Hearing that he won the title in the main event of Peter Pan, it's a pretty big deal. Um, so that was kind of nice. Um, nice to hear about. Um, wasn't the Takeshita and Ueno on there too? Like, it, like I'm so behind yes. on everything. Like, I think there was a Takeshita yes. Ueno match. So, like, obviously, I really want to watch that. So, yeah, and there's some interesting, I guess, some storyline stuff that comes out of that. That's probably worth checking out for sure. Um, playing off of kind of you know everything going on with with Takeshita. Um, so yeah, that that's one to to watch for. Uh. I also had a thought thinking about that with with the return of Kota Ibushi. 
um, which we didn't really mention, but kind of mentioned the match a little bit last week. Uh, and people kind of being like, oh, Coda is washed and he's out of shape and he's, you know, old and doesn't look the same. It's like now maybe if some people notice UNO versus, you know, uh, Take- uh, ugh, soup, I just want to call him soup, uh, Takeshita versus UNO, maybe like they'll, he can rush along like, Having Ueno be the replacement for Abushi now, if he if you can't have Abushi anymore, you can have the the next best thing there. Because um, yeah, I mean, obviously Ueno is fantastic, and he gets the comparison a lot to Abushi. That Abushi was washed thing was funny to me because it's like okay, like Abushi and Janela was like whatever, and we haven't really seen Abushi have like get to have and and, and there was a, and there was the uh, Mike Bailey match. But I was also like, just like, man, like, Kota's 41, guys. Like, I think he's in this, like, space because of how people perceive him and how young he still looks and being so baby-faced and having the exact same hair. Like, I th- like in one, I didn't even think he was, like, looked bad in Blood and Guts either. But also, like, the dude's fucking 41 years old. Like... It's yeah. just it's just funny it's just funny to me like you, you realize that this is a guy that's been wrestling for going on 20 years right like this he's gonna age at some point but yeah, but also it. like also i feel like don't like people jump to conclusions like even if he is like totally out of shape and looked bad in that match like it's still only been a couple matches since he came back he could get back into shape i mean it's possible yeah, i feel like we don't have to jump like People can just give it a chance before they make these grand uh, statements about his uh, his abilities going forward. You know. Oh yeah, for sure. And like the thing is, I think a lot of people kind of say, "Oh, he's known for always being in shape," which is you know true. And but the thing is, like he, when I saw him at Bloodsport and in the Janela match, like in LA, like he was in shape then. You know, so it it wasn't like he returned from injury and was out of shape and looked bad, like. It's just been since then, and who knows what's going on, really. So, you know, it's not that that's the thing. And I think a lot of people, the first time they saw him was on AEW, and they thought, like, oh, he's he's obviously just been out of shape ever since he got injured or whatever. And it's like, no, he was in shape when he first came back. And whatever. Yeah, I mean, he's not even... like, like, yeah, like, we just saw him this year. Like, but you again, you hit on the head there that some people might not have been, have been watching this stuff when he appeared on GCW for Mania Weekend. And it's like, yeah, no, like he, it's not like he was just gone for two years and blood and guts is his return. You just don't remember the fact that he was in GCW and then what happened since then. I don't know. And then like out of shape is such a weird thing. I don't even like saying or don't like the way people try try to use it. Cause I'm like, if you think Kota Ibushi looks out of shape, then like, I (laughs) don't know what to tell you. Like, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, so we're all on the same page here that Abushi <laughs> maybe not for sure washed, not definitely washed. It's too, it's a little bit jumping the gun to decide that at this moment. Uh, yeah, of course. If I if I watch him go out there and have a ma- have a bad match with like fucking Daniel Garcia or some shit, I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe, sure. but like, no, but no, like it's a big gimmicky cage match, war games thing. Like, who fucking cares? Yeah, and he did some stupid stuff, but. I mean, if you're going to be taking fucking bed and nails and thumbtacks and glass and all this, maybe having a little bit of extra cushion is not such a bad idea. You know, maybe he was intentionally tailoring his physique for what he was going into. Um, well, I guess we might as well talk about ROH. I don't know. Is there any other 
news notes or anything that you want to shout out that's happened in the past couple weeks? Uh, no, I this has nothing to do with anything, and like I don't really care for this to turn into a whole big discussion. I I don't understand how I live in a world in which uh Eli Drake, Sean Ricker, whatever the fuck is like an actual over person on a WWE main roster. Like and I don't watch it, so like I can't comment on what he does or it's just weird to me to live in a world in which I heap I see people talking about the current product and other than obviously the bloodline, all I see people talking about is how over LA Knight is. And it's just weird to live in the world and where Sean where Sean Stricker like or, or Sean Ricker is like an <laughs> actual person of substance on television. There's I a mean, lot of what's gone on in WWE in the past like year that's been successful to the point that I, I can't wrap my brain around it. Like, you know, I'm used to seeing stuff in WWE that I think sucks and it's like, oh yeah, but also they're driving their audience away in droves. And now it's like I I can't I don't know. Apparently it's in working in incredibly well. So I feel like maybe just things have passed me by. But you're right. That's another example of things that are head scratchers. And I also don't really watch much, so I can't say, you know, the actual quality one way or the other. But it sounds surprising. I yeah, I thought I actually thought maybe you did keep up on WWE, but I guess not. Um, I mean, I, I mean, I, I keep up to a point, like, but like, I'll watch, I watch WrestleMania, well, I'll watch SummerSlam. I, I usually watch at least some of Money in the Bank, Royal Rumble, stuff like that. But week to week, I, 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 I don't, I can't tell you the last time I've watched an episode of Raw or SmackDown. Like, I genuinely have no idea when it would have been. Yeah, I, I, I don't watch any of it. I know that like. The Judgment Day is very popular. They're saying as well. Um, yeah, that the whole yeah that, yeah that too. Like the Judgment Day thing is worked out, and like Priest is over, and like Dominic Mysterio gets like a ton of heat. Which like you know, like when that shit got put together, I was like, I don't really see it with this. And again, like it works. I'm like, okay, fine. Like it worked after how how after how much time? Like it it worked. It's just but being on the outside looking in to things going on in that company. And seeing, oh, yeah, like, the guys who are the most over or rising stars right now are Damian Priest, L.A. Knight, and Dominic Mysterio. It's like, what the fuck is going on over there? Like, I'm just, like, so genuinely, like, baffled. And it's been years since I've watched WWE week to week and paid attention, like, to anything at all with that company. So just observing it and outside of the bloodline stuff and seeing what's popular because i remember when uh the rk bro stuff was a thing and matt riddle and randy orton being super over and the fact that that seemed like that was leading somewhere uh, maybe riddle winning the title or orton winning the title like stuff like that and to then be like oh yeah the new hot stuff is la knight and damian priest and dominic mysterios but so even it's, when you- it's, it's weird man even when you compare it to stuff like RK Bro being over, like it's no comparison because, like, if if Meltzer's to be believed, and you know, again, I trust him on this. Like, WWE is not; it's not like that. These 
these uh, acts are just are getting big reactions. It's that they're getting huge ratings and selling massive amounts of tickets, like to a degree that they haven't in years. And the company is just as hot as it's been in forever. So it's it's kind of remarkable. I you know I I really want to be like, well, Vince McMahon came back and everything went to shit because fuck him, he sucks. But you know, like apparently things are going really well there. So. It's what I mean. Again, what the hell do I know? Yeah, I can't imagine what's going on because I, I mean, God forbid that I even try watching it. But like that, as you said, because it, all of television is going down ratings wise, like really bad. And supposedly, like WWE is not just like keeping from going down, but is actually going up, and like ratings are increasing, which just seems unreasonable for just like in my in my part knowing what the quality of this stuff is like there's no way that it's actually good so i just don't i don't get what's going on but there's got to be i guess there's got to be something to it i well it's funny and it's funny because it's funny because during during all the bloodline stuff when it was really hot at the beginning of this year you know i could satisfy myself being like oh you know it's all Sami Zayn. he's carrying it but Sami Zayn is sort of you know been kind of removed at least to a degree from that storyline in the past few months and it's just gotten bigger so i guess i can't even credit the guys that i like anymore like tim if yeah. i tell you this four-way match you just like this this doesn't even sound like a real thing right but this is a real thing that happened on smackdown last week cameron grimes versus la knight versus ramus jerio versus sheamus that doesn't sound real <laughs> that doesn't sound like a thing that actually took place. Right. But allegedly, this is a match. And I just can't fathom this match, like, existing at all. So, like, pardon anyone listening for the diatribe on, like, how checked out I am on WWE. But, like, what the fuck is that? That match doesn't even, that match doesn't even make sense in my brain. It, I'm, again, it's, I'm just so incredibly checked out from, from it, it, it there i have no touchstones really on this like what what's going on with with this company i i thought like cameron grimes was was like done like they ruined him and then but then i guess like maybe they're doing something with him who i i guess the the trick here is that like i'm just not watching it so i just don't know right but it the la night thing is very weird it feels like almost ironic but then at the same time it's kind of that like you just stick around long enough and eventually you're like one of the last people left and you know i mean not terrible like eli knight was never like i don't or eli drake or whatever never like terrible or whatever but just just never came across like a guy who would be a top star like just honestly just did not seem to have it came across Obviously, everyone makes the references to being like a tribute act kind of guy or whatever. But you know, his peak felt like 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 Bobby Roode or or you know Magnus or something like like that was where he was going to be at. And then, you know, whatever, that's fine. But like the fact that now he's being treated like he's a top guy there is kind of fucking crazy. That's all. That's all I had on that. We can like go to right. the now. Just like the, the, just all right. This being just a, this weird. Time. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. 
Like, it, it, it doesn't make me want to watch it. I'm just like, yeah. I do, I, it just breaks my brain sometimes. But we can talk about Ring of Honor. Let's do it. Um, so we, yeah, we we're gonna have Matt on to talk about Ring of Honor, obviously, because you're the the Ring of Honor expert. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess we'll start off with the uh, with the zero hour. Quentin, did you check out any of the the pre show, the zero hour here? I did see um, Shane Taylor versus Aaron Fox. All right, solid match. So, um, honestly, the whole zero hour was pretty good. Go ahead. I was gonna say that was the only uh, zero hour match that I saw too because I actually uh, attended this show. Um, I, I, I made my way to Trenton, so I got there in time to see uh, Shane versus Ar Fox. Oh, I, so then, yeah, I didn't, uh, I didn't realize you were there. Yeah, you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I really took my job as a correspondent here very seriously. Yeah, we appreciate it. I appreciate it. That's like uh, two times in a row now we've had a, a live guest correspondent for a big big pay-per-view show like this um well the matches before that that you guys both missed were both pretty solid uh woods and tracy williams and a pure rules match was pretty good it was weird because they didn't have the pure rules graphics that like show the rope breaks and and everything like they like they normally or like they do on the main show um so i didn't quite understand that but solid stuff they they played up they used the rope breaks up they kind of did that and had had woods get the win with a like a rope hung submissions because tracy didn't have any rope breaks left it's kind of a weird presentation for me personally just because i don't think of woods as being above tracy williams in the hierarchy of pure wrestling but obviously to roh and and to them like they're presenting it that way that woods is is higher up so he was kind of this was a setup match for him um the workhorseman versus action and and darius martin this was really good i'd recommend going back and checking it out tons of Action obviously from the high flyers. Yeah, that, the that, yeah, that sounds that sounds really good. Yeah, workhorsemen do a good job of keeping them grounded and, and telling a story in the match while also still having like the high spots and all the action. So definitely worth checking out. Um Hirsch and Tristadora was really solid, hard hitting women's match. You know, those two can both can both throw and they can wrestle. So it was a good mix of that. Um and then obviously the match you guys both saw. So I guess Matt, what are your what were your thoughts on AR Fox versus Shane Taylor in the building. Well, well, I so you know, I guess I was a little bit out of the loop in how um, you know, the progression of booking is. You know, I didn't see it coming. You know, the big plans they had for AR Fox, obviously, that continued on um, on Dynamite the night before we were recording this, where he joined uh, the Mogul Embassy and is seems to be getting a push in uh, in AEW. So I, I was actually surprised when he went over because, you know, Shane Taylor had just recently been in that mix to possibly get a shot at Samoa Joe that ended up going to Dalton Castle. But, you know, so I thought, you know, AR Fox would get to show uh, his big moves, but end up, you know, getting squashed in the end as the underdog. So I was actually pleasantly surprised when he won and he was really over and man, he he's been looking so crisp in everything he does. And Shane Taylor's pretty much always great too. I think you know Shane Taylor's another guy that I'd like to see get more time and attention. I would have really liked to see him versus Samoa Joe, to be honest. Um, but this was a uh, you know a good consolation. True, you know, honestly, this could have been easily been uh, slotted on the pay per view, and I think it would have fit in really well there. Both guys were really over, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I have to agree with that. Both really, really, really good workers. Um, both guys, yeah, like 
seemingly at their peak right now after having years of being great still like ar fox jesus how long has he been around and it seems like he's got only gotten better uh one of those guys that they say oh he's going to be in a wheelchair or whatever this and that and then no like he's still going strong uh all these years later um but yeah quentin what did you think of uh taylor and fox here well yeah i thought, I thought this was super fun and like in a lot of ways like it's been, it's been like being aware of AR Fox and watching AR Fox and just watching independent wrestling in the 2010s up until now was like a weird thing because you see AR Fox and you're just kind of perpetually confused as to why like he just doesn't get any meaningful like runs anywhere. So to see that come like all that all those years later here where he's actually getting to do some cool stuff and is meaningfully featured is like really awesome because he's just a guy that's consistently fun no matter where you have him like always in these sort of spots here mid uh if, if it's like a, a mid card mid card title tags trios like the guy is always really fun is gonna nail his stuff perfectly all the time and you know what you're gonna get from him but like he's one of the best at what he does and what he offers to uh, and what, he, what he offers in the ring like he's really good at that style of stuff and if you have good opponents for him and he's consistent i I, i'm just happy to see that happen so i thought the match was really good i thought that those i thought these two guys matched up really well with the bigger and small with the the big and small dynamic ar fox bumps like crazy for shane and i was just really happy to see ar fox get this win here and now we're seeing him maybe move on to some more interesting things but I'm i'm just happy for the guy yeah, no, and hopefully this does mean something big because that's that was kind of part of my feeling coming out of this, not just the whole show, but like you know the pre-show especially, and then onto the show. Like, what the fuck is ROH? And and there is like the I don't know if it was the scrum or the media the pre-show media call, but like there was someone who kind of asked Tony that like what is this ROH thing about? And he basically kind of said like oh it's meant to be like a you know like a super indie. It's supposed to be to serve the hardcore fans, and it's like. You look at the caliber of wrestler, even just on the pre-show, and you kind of go like, "Yeah, what the fuck is this? Like, what? A, what is Tony doing with all this talent? Like, it's an insane level of talent that he has, and he's only got so much TV time, and you know, every Saturday's got to be devoted to to Phil and his flunkies. So it's like you got someone like Fox and Taylor here who deserve much better, and and." deserve bigger higher profile stuff and it's like what what are they doing on the pre-show you got the work horsemen like i saw anthony henry you know he tweeted it out like oh you know i could be a top five pure guy in the world if they just gave me a chance to have some singles matches people don't even realize how good i am and i'm like i mean according to me last year i would say anthony henry was a top five wrestler in the world not pure style whatever like he is so incredibly talented and you've got him doing tag team matches on the pre-show now mind you the great match but like I mean, you've got one of the best wrestlers in the fucking world. But then, yeah, on the main roster, you've also got Brian Danielson, who's, you know, the greatest of all time. Like, what are you doing here? You got Moxley, who's repeatedly being like one of the best wrestlers in the world year after year. So, you know, this the level of talent is insane. And like ROH just being like the all-star show, basically like the new PWG now that PWG is gone, even though they're running a show here in a couple of weeks. Um, it's like it is interesting to think of it that way. Um, but, here, but here's my here's my thing because like I, I actually wanted to bring up what, what you meant what you were talking about also which is the whole like what the fuck is ROH because it's like I was really happy to go to this show because I actually got to see 
ROH branded matches in front of a crowd that's there to see ROH. Because the last time that I had seen the, this version of ROH was when I went to Dynamite in Long Island in April, and they just taped like a bajillion hours of ROH after the show between a, for a tiny crowd that was there to see another show. And my whole thing is like, a show is never going to come off well if the audience is there to see something else. And like, that's how they tape almost all of ROH now. And it's just a bunch of random matches to most people. So it's like, I don't know what ROH is either. Even after watching the show and, you know, I'll get to my thoughts on it, but like, I still don't know what all of this is or what it all amounts to. Uh, let me ask you guys something. Do you consider this ROH? Like to you, is this ROH or is this just like, you know, a weirdly branded AEW show? Because like, I sort of think of it as like, its own like obviously it's higher quality but almost like wwe ecw like it's it still doesn't feel like yeah. canonical ring of honor to me uh and and obviously i mean again as we'll, we'll get to in the show like so much of death before dishonor you know matches notwithstanding was booked to set up stuff for like aew television how are you supposed to take it seriously as its own thing when that's how it's booked uh yeah i'll say i pretty much agree with you there um but yeah, Quentin, what do you what do you think? Is this ROH to you? Um, no, it isn't. And like, I'm f kind of fine with these shows that they're running as long as they're booking like quality wrestlers. But like, it really is WWE, ECW. But like, I guess not as like offensive in terms of like what they turned it into. It was just more kind of boring and inconsequential, or like leading in quote unquote the real important stuff because like. I think they had a chance with this Ring of Honor, uh, with this ring with this Ring of Honor under Tony Khan's management. I think that Eddie and Claudio in running with that story was the chance. And who knows? Like maybe they do revisit it before the end of the year. Maybe Eddie does come back to Ring of Honor and they come back and finish that story with Eddie winning the title. But like, I felt like if there was a chance in order to show, hey, like. Ring of Honor isn't just like the playground for the people that don't have the that, that we don't have any time on AEW TV to use. We this is actually meaningful and mean something. I think that Eddie versus Claudio was the chance because Eddie and Claudio was like so great, so awesome of a match. And we don't get that emotional payoff that probably would have kept people interested or just a storyline that would have kept people interested. Like it's great that we've gotten like the FTR stuff and the brisk and, the, and, and, and everything like that, that became like cult classics and will be remembered of defining stuff of the decade and shit like that. But that's really cool. But I don't think that since then that they've put something together or made an effort to put something together that was just as impactful or memorable. And they had the chance with Eddie and Claudio and it didn't happen. And I feel like ever since then has been pretty clear. Like this is just what Ring of Honor is, and I'm, again, I'm fine with that. If this is just like your WWE ECW, where you have your Action Andretti's and Darius Martins and the Dark Order and like shit like that over here, because you think those people are useful, but you don't have any time for them on Collision or Dynamite yet. Okay, fair enough. But I'm just not gonna care. Like. Yeah, exactly. Athena can figure out her act and make it more like main event tailored and ready. So whenever she's back and loses loses the title, so that she can come back and win the AW AW Women's title. 
I don't know. Like, so there's uses for it, but it's definitely not doing anything still, even off of this show to make it feel like, oh yeah, I need to be watching Ring of Honor all the time. I need to be watching weekly. I need to care about this stuff. I'll come in and I'll watch a good show, but this not doing anything to make me care. And I feel like they're probably okay with that. Yeah, I think that I think that's for sure. I think there's a lot in there that you kind of said that even sparks off a bunch of ideas in my head. Like talking about the Claudio Eddie thing being like that was their chance to have an authentic ROH thing or whatever. Like, and I kind of get more what you mean that it would be a compelling story that would draw you in. But so much of the Claudio Eddie stuff has played out on AEW TV, as Matt has mentioned. So much of their history plays out through the indies, especially like Chikara. Like, that does not feel like an like an ROH as Matt's talking about, like hearkening back oh, yeah, to an ROH. Oh, um, oh yeah, yeah. It's not it's not an ROH story. Sorry, it's not an ROH story yeah. necessarily in terms of like its roots and where it comes from. So it's not like in its essence, like super ring of honor in like the truest sense. But if I'm thinking of like anything that could put like ring of honor in a really positive light and give it some sort of identity, whether it's a new one or whatever else, I felt like it was like the chance to make an identity more so. Yeah, definitely. And then, you know, mentioning like the FTR stuff, like that was, that did feel so weird. And the reference that I thought of as you're talking about it, and it never crossed my mind before was that like FTR's little ROH run felt like, like the world's greatest tag team when they came into ROH kind of like where they never really felt like they were part of ROH. They felt like they were guest stars. And they were just part of like having a series of interesting, fun matches, but were never really authentically part of ROH. And it just felt like on a grander scale with a higher profile situation, kind of doing the same thing where you just have this like high profile off of TV tag team showing up and winning the titles and having a series of matches, but never really feeling like, oh, you're part of the company. Um well, but well we same say, thing like, with the same thing with same thing with the Lucha Brothers, right? Like this, it's like yeah. this very similar situation for their tag title reign. Yeah, and and but the I guess kind of the thing though is like what what era of ROH is ROH, right? Like there there is a lot of difference between and even just Matt, like a couple of years that you've been rewatching the old stuff, like from where it began to where it is now on the recent episodes you've done, it's like there's some big differences. And oh, for sure, even, yeah. It was then, it's, even, it was it was oh, a self-contained it was a self-contained company, <laughs> I guess is what it is you know it it was its own promotion, as opposed to really building to something unrelated to it. Sure, like having that connection to something different, but I guess I just mean like ROH has a lot of different identities over the years, and a lot of different people have an opinion on what they think ROH is, and the toughest part is that up until right before Tony Khan takes over was probably the point where I would say that ROH was the weakest and had the least of its own identity. So it's really, it's really difficult to say like, how does Tony start this company back up and have it still feel like it's the same company when like at the time there was not really anything that felt like super ROH. I mean, obviously the biggest flub is that like Grisham, the Grisham situation, because up until that point, Grisham had kind of been the standard bearer and the, and the flag waver, like literally for ROH with the foundation and the way that everything went with that, I think really kind of messed up the ability to, to keep that lineage. Like even though Claudio does beat Grisham for the title, I mean, there was so much more to that and there was so 
you know, sour, sour grapes to it that like it did make it kind of feel like you did not get that clean connection. And maybe that's maybe that's the cardinal sin of the Tony Khan ROH. Like that's the, the that's the, uh, I guess, original sin. That's what like kind of starts this whole thing off down the wrong path where it doesn't have that connection and that lineage anymore because you kind of just felt like you just retconned one you know era into the new era and then obviously the jericho thing didn't help and all of that um so yeah i think that's a really um, good that's a really good point about gresham that i would that i wouldn't have thought of i, I think that's a, that's a huge thing i think the other thing is just you know doing such a bad job of keeping it self-contained like just so many of these guys are their main stuff is in on AEW TV, you know, Claudio is, is so deeply still involved in AEW. Samoa Joe still so deeply involved in AEW. You know, Lucha Brothers, I'm sure Aussie Open is not going to be, you know, primarily an ROH featured act as they, uh, you know, continue to uh, uh, become more involved in the AEW scene. I mean, these are guys that are signed to AEW, right? So, you know, when Tony Khan is like, this is its own promotion, and it's like, well, you're just the contracts say AEW, right? <laughs> and so the, then you just decide, oh, the AEW show you're going to work this week is all actually ROH. So it, that that's the thing. And and it's and it's filmed, the, the TV show is filmed in front of people who are there to watch an AEW television show. I, I just, I, I don't feel like it's ever going to get its own identity as long as that's the way you're going to logistically run things. Right. Yeah, and like, and that just might not be the plan anymore because, like, again, like to yeah. go back to the point, it's like if this is if WWE CW was where they had is where they sent some of the developmental guys like Jack Swagger and Kofi Kingston first, and then and then and then we're gonna move them on to like Raw and SmackDown, and like this makes sense, and I don't really think that like they're treating ROH exactly like developmental, exactly like developmental. Like, I don't think it's like quite there yet i feel like it's more so we don't have anything for you yet as opposed to like feeling like a feeder or developmental thing but like yeah i think there's this is like you know where you send your jack swagger and kobe kingston first and then you send them up to raw and smackdown and all that stuff and aussie open like they're one of the best things in the world so i think this is just giving them something to do currently before they get more involved in storylines but again this is just like really just time filler and um Honestly, yeah. When when Tim mentioned J- Jonathan Gresham, I mean, like, fuck, like, that's like, God, how is, is that? Is that? But yeah, basically, basically a year ago, like, almost like a yeah. It know, was death. Like, yeah, it was death of Fort Dishonor last year where all that happened. Yeah, like exactly, exactly a year ago, and like, it was only a year ago. But like, I, I like when I'm when I'm thinking of Ring of Honor right now, I didn't even think of Jonathan Gresham at all. Like, as we're sitting there having this conversation, Jonathan Gresham. Being the guy that was the champ coming into this new Tony Khan-led era didn't cross my mind at all, which is a testament to just like how fucking strange and disappointing that whole situation playing out the way that it did is. Because that's another one. Like even if we don't just boil it boil it down to the Claudio and Eddie thing, like Jonathan Gresham was like the guy that was the most talked about buzzing guy that was part of the transition to the Tony era, and rightfully so he was the champion coming into it and just nothing and like part of that is because you know tony wanted to go wanted to go with claudio and all that stuff so like jonathan gresham maybe maybe wouldn't even have mattered like he was gonna lose about the claudio anyway so maybe gresham wouldn't have mattered going forward to begin with but it's like 
you lose a guy that was like super integral to your identity too. Like that's another big thing. So yeah, it's it's it it really is just a husk of itself. And it look, it's almost like watching NXT at some point, or like though like the super indie era of NXT is like if you just want to drop in for the matches, then that's probably the best way to do it because all these storylines and stories that you're thinking that you're gonna get at this point just aren't gonna happen. Just drop in, watch the takeover and Maybe there's some good stuff on the TV, but otherwise you're just here because there's good wrestlers on the show. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, like we'll see when we talk about the show, like that's pretty much the optimal way to watch this stuff is like when the big shows happen, the wrestlers work hard and usually they deliver good matches. And I guess that's just that's just what it's going to be. Yeah, well, and uh, I think that you know you have to also give uh, <laughs> give Tony the credit that uh, the most authentic thing that he could do for his ROH was to have when he took over ROH his first champion be a little guy who was pissed off about jobbing, um, just like the <laughs> original champion of ROH. Um, so the the let's start the the actual show proper here. Um, and I was gonna I was you know now we went off on this tangent. I was going to say. Uh, the first match I did not, I should have seen it coming, but uh, Quentin Suppressa S. Lucha, uh, the first match was fucking crazy great. What did you think about uh, Commander versus Gravity here? Oh, did you, did you really like it? I, th- I thought it was, yeah, like, I, I, like Gravi- Gravity is uh, only been wrestling for a couple of years, so like, might not be, isn't like super duper great. And like, if you're coming into this, like, comparing him to Bandito, then like, yeah, you kind of have like really high expectations for him, but yeah, I thought I thought, th- I thought this was fine. Like they're like the, the spot, their spots, the spots are cool, and there's like some super creative stuff. Obviously, with the rope walking and some of the mat work was was re- was really fun. Um, yeah, just I think that maybe sometimes even though the mat work was fun, a little clunky and didn't really reel me in. Other like you know, other than some of the. Uh, Pink combinations and stuff like that, but not the best I've seen from that type of faster-paced uh, lucha mat work trading. So it, it was it was fine, and I think Gravity has room to improve. But like, I wasn't super impressed with this uh, with this with this combination here. Yeah, I I honestly really did enjoy it. I mean, for you know an opening match on the paper, I thought it was perfect that it was like had some really unique interesting spots that kind of take your breath away with some stuff that I've never seen before. Um, you know, I know I've seen gravity here and there and, and been like whatever commander obviously has some impressive stuff that he does, but I just thought that to me, I thought that they gelled really well and not just like you said, I mean, maybe the mechanics not necessarily are how they gelled really well. And that stuff was a little bit clunky, but I just think that they were both, they're both like very unique and innovative and were able to kind of come up with stuff to bounce off of each other to use both of their unique stuff into into interacting with each other to create something that was very very unique and I thought stood out quite a bit, um, and felt more like like I was saying it felt more like a straight up like kind of an indie lucha match and not like a like indie luchador like luchadors wrestling on an American indie show like what you kind of get on GCW a lot of times with these guys where they're just stuck in like a scramble. And they just hit some spots here and there. And it's just like every other scramble match. Like this felt more like an actual indie Lucha match. Um, what did you think, Matt? I think I'm in between the two of you. I didn't think it was super great, but I, I thought it was like solidly good. And I think, you know, one of the things I liked about this show is that 
basically every match felt like it added something to the show. Like there was no match where I was like, yeah, you know what? They could have easily just not had that match and the show would have been just as good. You know, this gave something that none of the other matches gave, you know, like some of that Lucha Matt work. And, you know, the first time I saw Commander live was at uh, Dynamite in Long Island in April against Sammy Guevara. And in that match, I feel like his uh, his constant rope walking got to the point of being excessive. Here, he kind of peppered it throughout in a more, uh, you know, in a more parsimonious way and to the point where it didn't overstay its welcome. And I thought it, it always hit like and connected with the audience and added to the match each time he did it. Whereas, you know, I've seen matches of his where it's like, all right, chill with the rope walking. Um, and he, he looked great, I thought. I thought everything he did, you know, really, really landed. Gravity, like you said, I think, you know, he could use some seasoning. But he did some really cool stuff. Um, I think the coolest thing that Gravity did in the match was that Tree of Woe kind of into the splash on the outside over the ring post. I thought that was really cool, and the crowd went crazy for that one. Uh, it's another match where I was surprised by the finish because I didn't realize they were going to book the Man That Gravity Forgot match for Dynamite. But again, another finish that was clearly designed to set up a match on AEW Dynamite. But uh, but yeah, no, I enjoyed this. I, I I thought it didn't overstay its welcome. It was fun, and it added something different to the show. Okay, now you said none of the matches felt like you could have gone without them, but this next match here, Joe versus Dalton Castle, I don't know. Um, it did bring something unique, which was kind of a bunch of stupid bullshit with Stokely Hathaway. Like, I don't know <laughs> if I needed that on the show. Like, I haven't been watching the TV, so I don't know. I assume that this is like part of the storyline is that Joe is is messing with Stokely. And I, I get it because it, you know, obviously it works. Stokely is very good at playing a character like that. But I don't know that I want Joe involved in something that comes across comical. Like, like I know that he's not necessarily being a joke, but it it does feel a little bit like that. Like it's going over the top with like Stokely is is intimidated by Joe so much that he's a you know a cartoon about it. And and it's funny because you kind of have the the thing that everyone's talking about on AEW TV, as we just repeatedly talk about AEW with MJF and Adam Cole and saying like, do you want your champion in this kind of stupid comedy thing? But it obviously is working and is incredibly over. Um, this, I don't think has that same like kind of saving grace where I don't think you can say like, oh, this is working and everyone loves it. I mean, like, yeah, like whatever. And then I really hate to see Dalton like, because there was a time where I thought that Dalton could be like an all-time level great talent. Like he's just so incredibly skilled at everything, tons of personality, character, plus being so good in the ring. And ever since kind of the back injury and all that, it's like he's really changed up a lot of his style. And and he felt like he was even just shaken as a character for a while, where he just didn't have the confidence even in his character for a bit to where he's kind of I think he's settled into where he is and he's still quite good but it's just it's kind of a letdown because it's like always looking at him as someone who was like a what could have been what could have happened kind of situation but uh what did you think about the mat the match there Matt well I mean I do agree this was probably my least favorite match on the show but I do think that it it did you know, like like you said kind of but it did add something unique to the show it, it was it was the sticky match and, you know, it's not necessarily what I would gone to uh, an ROH show for, but I think 
it it had the stuff with the boys that people got into it built to the big power spots um with uh with dalton and uh, you know slamming joe and suplexing joe and you know i think joe is always just super entertaining so i still think it was a fun match yeah i i, I wasn't really up on the whole stokely thing either so i, I had to kind of read some recaps to figure out exactly what was going on with joe and him in the finish um the one one complaint i would have is this finish wasn't exactly the same as the finish in the um claudio versus pack match um but there were enough similarities and like that it was the uh, a distraction led immediately to the ending that i was like okay that's kind of two supposedly big title matches that have very similar finishes not crazy about that but I don't know. I think this this match wasn't completely a waste. Sure. Quentin, what did you think? I'm not going to say it's a waste. I just didn't like it. Um, like, I think that as we've seen with Joe, like in this resurgence, resurgence for him in the last, uh, last, last couple of years, that like there are really good situations and opponents for him. And I would like to think that on paper, Dalton could be that, but just at this stage with Dalton, I just it, it it didn't come it didn't come together, and then the focus of the match and everything. Like I'm fine with like uh, mid card, beginning of the card, chicanery and bullshit. Like I'm like I'm fine with that in general. Like I think that heel work and interference and other stuff going on like has a place in wrestling. So it's not anything like that. Like I just didn't think it was done particularly well. And then when you actually get Dalton and Joe interacting with each other directly without that being involved, I just didn't think it was super engaging either. There's some really cool spots like seeing Joe get thrown around by Dalton's power spots and all that will were were good were good and I enjoyed that. But otherwise, yeah, I feel that this so I guess I guess between the Gravity and Commander match and between Joe and Dalton would be my least favorite match of the night. And I'm not sure which one I think is the worst, but yeah, I don't think it was pointless, but I got no, I got nothing for Joe and Dalton. Sure. Uh, up next, we got the four corner uh, ROH World Tag Team Title match. Um, best friends, Aussie Open Kingdom, and the Lucha Bros. We kind of talked about the Lucha Bros feeling like guest stars in ROH for this title reign, um, and that is, I think, part of it. Or you know, kind of mentioning ROH is it? Is it? You know, is it? wwe ecw is it you know a developmental and i think it's like not necessarily either of those it's more of like a just a place to cycle through and that's what it feels like and i you know sent this one out there too like the lucha bros feel like this is the best example that that tony has done of utilizing his different brands and his different places to stick people to to kind of cycle the lucha bros down while not like really cycling them down so that they could return and feel freshened up as we talked about kind of the booking leading to aew stuff so kind of using this as a dynamic to set them back up to come in and go into this trios feud that looks interesting i think was a really good example of how to use you know all of his assets to the best of the ability and, and so i just hope that we continue to see that and guys can kind of cycle up and down and around and it's not necessarily a yeah like oh roh is where you go when you're like you know need seasoning or whatever roh is just where you go sometimes and people just kind of move around and go to different leagues and different divisions and things um that said i mean best friends are fine and it's something like this you know this kind of spot fest they used to be i hate to say it they used to be really really good at this kind of stuff and being kind of like 
the key factors clearly being a big part of laying this kind of stuff out. Chuck Taylor, you know, used to be, you know, obviously seemed, I don't know if he doesn't put as much effort into it anymore, but it just, who knows, but really feels like now it's the kingdom. They're really putting maximum effort into kind of the layout being the glue that holds everything together, helping keep it, everybody in place, you know, instigating the spots as they go through everything. And there was some cool, like spots, you know, there's some stuff that's a little bit too convoluted, like where, you know, everyone is hitting like a different variation of a pile driver back to back to back. But like that little that little run was kind of neat because it ends with uh, with Davis hitting the close your eyes and count to fuck, which is such a cool move. So it's just like, OK, you know, whatever. Aussie Open, get the titles, which I like, um, even if it's the ROH titles, which feels I hate to say it, but almost feels beneath them at this point. But I mean, they're winning it from the Lucha Brothers and they're kind of some one of the bigger acts in this whole company and stuff. So is it necessarily a beneath you kind of thing? I guess not. Um, but yeah, Quentin, what did you think of this uh, tag title match here? Yeah, this was fun enough. Like I, 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 I enjoyed this and had, and had, and had fun with it. But like you said, it feels like in years prior that this match would have been better. Um, but I, but but I still liked it. Like so, it did kind of feel weird to me, like you said, with Aussie Open winning it, because it's like, oh, aren't they kind of beneath this? But like you pointed out, like the Lucha Brothers just had this title, and we know that the Lucha Brothers remain one of the biggest and most popular acts in AEW. So like, who can you really can we really say that or call it a demotion? Not not really. Like if the Lucha Brothers just had this title, then like that's there's nothing really to like be worried or apprehensive or apprehens- apprehensive about the. Finish was again. It's just set, setting up more stuff. So like this finish basically is going go is going towards um, the end of the world title match, where in the aftermath of everything, we see Death Triangle come come out and jump, uh, and and jump Claudio and Yuta, and then the best friends come out in deal with them so i guess they're setting up something like that but at the same time like do you get the pensa hitting uh either trent or chuck with the chair and i get it like pensa is pensa he can kind of do whatever he wants and it doesn't really make him a heel or whatever like he can just kind of do stuff like that so like i wouldn't even take it as like a heel turn or something out of character for the lucha brothers but i don't i don't know like just adding in that spot when you already had them take the uh take the ref out of the ring and everything is like were you trying to turn them and if that was and if that's not the case then why are they then coming out to interact with bcc uh but i I guess you know aw could do stuff like this where everything's all muddied up and they'll go out there and they'll tell their story but it was just like okay so if they're not turning then what's going on with the death uh, death triangle stuff but it's it's whatever it'll be good matches and be fun if they book some triple threat triangle match or whatever the fuck. But it was just okay. This is kind of a lot going on here. Yeah, that that three way feud between like Death Triangle, uh, Best Friends, and BCC is kind of weird because you know to make a reference, it's it feels like uh, three groups of men of low moral fiber. Like you don't really have heels or baby faces because all of those groups are pretty well known to just kind of do whatever's expedient, be it morally. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Best not. friends. Yeah. Best friends. Of course. Best yeah. friends do that shit all the time. Of course. Yeah. 
Yeah, like, I mean, the way that Orange Cassidy comes out and the stuff that he does, it's like he's not really coming across like a baby face. Like, he is very popular, but he's not coming across like a baby face. Truck and, uh, uh, Chuck and Trent do the same shit. You know, Lucha Bros, Death Triangle, or go fluctuate back and forth. And BCC, it's kind of like, who knows what the fuck is going on with them. Um, but Matt, what did you think about this uh, tag title four-way match? Well, I think one rule of thumb about... Um tag team i mean not tag teams heels in aew or aew related promotions is that you're not really a heel in aew unless you insult somebody's dead parents so everybody else is just somewhere in the middle so that's why penta can just uh you know bash trent with a chair and still not officially be a heel or or you know Pac can use a hammer yeah. and he's only sort of a heel sometimes and other times he gets cheered, you know, really, unless, unless you're like Christian or MJF and, you know, even MJF at this point, not really, you know, you're, you're, you're not a full, full on heel. Uh, every, everything's sort of a muddied uh, mess a little bit. Um, as far as this match, it really made me want to see um, Aussie open against Lucha Bros in a regular tag team match. And I think I would have preferred that. Um, obviously they, they wanted to get more guys on the show. They wanted to build that three-way feud and they didn't want to have Lucha Bros do the job, I suppose. Um, but I would have preferred that. And obviously that's not the direction they're going. This was fun though. I mean, I, I, I don't think this was bad at all. And there were some really exciting spots and, uh, you know, like the one, those, some of the ones that you said, and I thought Aussie open looked great. Um, and yeah, I, I, I didn't think of it as this being beneath them because, I think it's more just like this is a chance to give them tag team matches that have stakes to it until they're ready to get them involved in the, you know, the main AEW tag team title mix or whatever mix they're going to end up putting them in when they start using them more on, uh, on AEW TV, you know, but it gives them something to do and something that feels like it matters. So I think it's, it's a net positive for them to be the ROH tag team champions. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, follow this up with uh, I think this match gets a bit of short shrift because I hear a lot of people kind of say, "Oh, once you get into the you know the final four matches on this show, it really turns great." And blah blah blah. I think it's like honestly, it's these like this include this match. It's the five matches. I thought that this was fantastic. Um, we got Mogul Embassy of uh, Bishop Khan, Brian Cage, and Toa Leona taking on uh, Master Wato. Uh, Ryosuke Taguchi and Leon Ruffin or uh, Ruff 69 as I like to call them um, Matt what did you think about this uh, this trios match here yeah I was ready to sort of be like checked out for a little while during this match sort of like recharge my brain look at my phone for a little while but they you know they definitely pulled me in um, you know but obviously the, I think the embassy is great and I think this period of Brian Cage is easily the best he's looked since joining AEW. I think he's really found a niche for himself and a place where he fits in and adds. And the other two guys on the team, um, you know, I, I think are honestly even better. Um, so I think they're a great, you know, a trio right there. Um, the other group was kind of thrown together. I was looking on Cage Match, and is it true? I mean, or are they just missing something that? That Ruffin hasn't wrestled since since April. Was he hurt, or was uh, was something else going on? I mean, uh, so so they really threw this this tag team together, um, or this this trio together, I should say. But 
I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought actually Ruffin in some ways was a standout in terms of the bumping, obviously the big bump he took at the finish, but also throughout the match and some of the, you know, the dodges he took in order to make the tags and things like that. It, I just thought this was, this match was just like the fun match of the night. It was really nothing negative. You could say about it. it the finish was logical. Everybody played their part well and they they got the crowd more and more into it as it went on. So, you know, crowd that was these these you know these guys weren't like stars to this crowd, but they pulled them in just with the the entertainment value and the story they were telling. So, I think they did a great job. Yeah, definitely, this would have been my favorite match on the show up to this point. Yeah, I agree with that, uh, Quentin. What did you think of the uh, the trios match here? No, I echo the sentiments. I was fully prepared to not care about this match at all. And then as the heat segment just kept going on and on, and you just see how great this embassy t- embassy team looked to control and the performance from the babyface side, like this is exactly just what I wanted. And I guess needed at this point in the card where there was like some fun and enjoyable stuff, but nothing that like real mean in a meaningful way. And this isn't like the most like substantive, like, stuff out there but like still just gave me something to uh get ruled in by i love a great i love a great control segment and this NBC team is just so good at that stuff and being so imposing and physically menacing and when you have someone the size of like leon ruffin in there and even like someone like master Watto, like it just makes for the perfect people to go be able to just like ragdoll around and want to see like overcome these huge monsters so I thought this was I thought this was very good and uh up to that point probably my favorite match that I've been on the show. I definitely thought this was good. It's surprising like I'm looking at um the at cage match right now as we're, as we're recording and it has a 6.12. So it's rated worse uh than Gravity and Commander. Not not by a lot, but rated worse than Gravity and Commander, rated higher yeah. than the television title match and then the TV and then, that, and then that tag title match is like almost at an eight. So it, it, it's interesting looking at the reaction that we have to this match and then like the one on cage match because like we're, it looks like we're a lot higher on like this six man tag match than like cage matches. I always wonder about those cage match ratings though because sometimes I think about it like how many people who rate those matches are sometimes people that just didn't even watch the matches? At oh, all? that's very possible. Yeah, yeah. So like that's 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 the thing. Like they'll read a recap or something, and then they'll rate the match, or they'll rate it just because they think it's fun to mess with guys, elevate guys, deflate guys or women that they uh, you know that they like or dislike. <laughs> you know, like yeah. uh, it's or or promotion that they like or dislike. It's it's just kind of funny. I, I have a feeling that people who thought that match was you know a six compared to the the uh, the four-way that was an eight. I feel like a lot of those people did not watch either of those matches. That's that's pretty fair. Um, yeah, I mean, you guys kind of hit everything there. I think my, my big, big takeaway was, like, while I do think that the whole mobile embassy, embassy team is, is solid, I just think Toa Leona, since he's, like, gotten into even better shape, um, is clearly really, really into it. He is just, he's something special. Like really, like honestly, there's something there that really stands and he's only been, out. He's only been rest. He's only been wrestling for like two or three years. Right. Yeah. Something insane like that. Like he's barely, yeah, he's since, yeah. since he started during the pandemic basically in like 2020. Wow. So he's been wrestling for about wow. three years. Um, 
and he's just absolutely phenomenal like he gets he understands the assignment as they say like to play his character he's so perfect but he comes across like one of these guys who's going to be able to take what is on its face like kind of a you know stereotypical goofy wild savage kind of thing and be able to transcend that into actually being something bigger than that i think just with how incredibly talented he is and the physical charisma that he has because yeah i mean it's there's that's it like as quentin said like there's not you know there isn't a ton here to really like sink your teeth into but it's impossible to get bored because anytime anything is going on like whatever this and that like toa will come out of nowhere as just like a complete and utter ball of fire and just do something fucking insane and it's just you can't you can't relax you can't like get bored you can't like not appreciate just the wild ass shit that he's doing and ruffin was he's so perfect at doing the artful dodger kind of thing like the way that he plays cat and mouse is so unique and and really stands out the way that he you know just slips out of the hands like water you know is perfect like those two were really really the stands out to the match and then everyone else involved is very good but i think that is where the match misses like misses being able to really develop into anything like super like you know oh like this is gonna be in your match of the year blah 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 whatever because it's just like there's a lot of other hoopla but there is at the core there's two really really talented wrestlers at like really perfectly diametrically matching kind of conditions and and the 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 kind of uh the little like botch spot or whatever where they clonk heads on the floor was almost kind of perfect to just kind of sell that story sell that situation where this is just like you know there's a lot going on and you're riding on the ra razor's edge and at any moment you can kind of like go off path and just all of the 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 insane amount of inertia and energy that's going on can just you know clash into just a big explosion which is basically two guys just slamming their heads into each other which was pretty pretty rough um follow this up the roh pure title match um shibata versus daniel garcia quentin what did you think about the uh the pure title match here so i like the idea of this garcia and shibata story of Shibata being so no-nonsense and Garcia fully embracing, like, just being completely fucking over the top with the sports entertainer shtick and even the dancing and the dancing in front of Sh dancing all around Shibata. Like, I like the humor of it. Like, I think it's funny, but as I'm just watching this match and I know how uber-talented Garcia is and, like, how on paper, like, how much I should love this, I still like this match. It was just a thing where, like, I really just sat there with myself, like, what purpose is this serving for Garcia? Like, like when he stops doing this stuff, like, is this gonna make him more over when he turns babyface or breaks away from it? Like, what is the purpose that this serves for him? Because this is great that it's getting over, and Garcia is over in general. He can go out there and wrestle fucking Shibata and Brian Danielson and, like, all like the top wrestlers in the company and no one bats an eye because he's just really great and has proven himself. So because Garcia is great and because he's great at targeting a limb and because Kashori Shibata is great and he, and he can sell and those two will just beat the shadow of each other. Like at its core, you're still getting a really good match. And like, again, I understand like the idea of this in a vacuum and like these two being like polar opposites with the act that Daniel Garcia is, portraying here but I, I just really had the thought watching this like what is this gonna 
really going to do for him once this is done? Like, is it going to make him more over once he turns or does something else? Like, I don't really get it because I'm just watching him dance around Kashiro Shibata. And while I'm like laughing a little bit about, about how goofy it is, it's just like, man, like, I just don't really understand what's going on here a little bit. Like, so it's not like even like a, so I'm, I'm anti fun or dancing or whatever else or any anti anything goofy, but like it just didn't really feel productive for Garcia to like just to to watch it. And I know it's not new or anything. It, it was just a thought I had when like watching him versus Shibata. I'm like, man, this is like a Kashiro Shibata match. Like, how many of these do we have left? How many of these are we gonna <laughs> keep being able to see? And like. A Kasuri Shibata match had a like prolonged section where like this guy just danced around him. It's just like that, man. I don't. I guess. I guess if that's the best use of what we're gonna do with Kasuri Shibata, then fine, I guess. But it, it was good. I really did enjoy it, like enjoy it for like the actual bits of wrestling between them and the personality aspect was fun. It just kind of thought like yeah, I don't know if they're gonna help Daniel Garcia when things when things go forward. Yeah, I uh. I kind of agree with that. I've been having, I've kind of been having that that same feeling with the Daniel Garcia thing for a, like the whole time, really. Like the way that they started the stuff with the Blackpool Combat Club and the and the JAS stuff and the feud with him and and kind of playing off of all of that stuff. It's always felt like, like you know, this is just a waiting period, and then we're going to get to it. But the longer it it extends, I just I've thought it and I've kind of said it. It's like, is this just it? Like you're talking about what are they going to do next? And I'm kind of like, I don't know that there's a next. I think that the Daniel Garcia that people like me and you were really excited about on the indies and thought this guy, you know, can be a next, one of the great wrestlers of all time. Like that guy is not showing up in AEW. Like this Daniel Garcia is the Daniel Garcia that we're going to have and possibly for his, his entire career on TV. And that's fine because he's still very talented but I just don't think that, like, I don't think that this is a phase. I think that this might be the plan. And I always kind of thought that was it. Like, oh, he's he's going to learn how to be, you know, a TV wrestler and, and have personality and stuff. And that's the whole point of teaming him with Jericho. He doesn't need to team with the guys in the Black Bolt Combat Club because he's already insanely talented in ring and really does not need to work on that. Um, but yeah, it just kind of feels like, no, like, I don't think... I don't think the plan is for this to be a pit stop and then he's going to go back to being a serious wrestler. And that's kind of the weird thing about this match because this is a really, really good, pure wrestling match in here with just a ton of other stuff mixed in. Like, and it doesn't, I think they did a pretty good job of integrating it, but at other times it really felt like it was abrupt how much it was like, okay, here's the shtick. Okay, now we're going to get into the wrestling. And then, okay, let's take a break and do some more shtick and then we'll go back into the wrestling. And that's the part that kind of hurts it. And then there's a couple key little things that I think are neat, like Daniel Garcia dancing as he gets down into sitting cross-legged, like that was the neat. And then the finish, I I absolutely hated the finish and was just like, that's just fucking stupid. But then Caprice Coleman, he saves it because he goes, you got to go out swinging. It just happens that Daniel Garcia is swinging his hips. And that line just absolutely fucking killed me. And like, that's why I'm just like, Caprice Coleman is the best color man in wrestling. Because like, he's just... That's just that makes sense. That's Caprice. Like he would say something like that. But uh, but Matt, what did you think about uh, Shibata and Garcia here? Right, well, first of all, I um, I really did like the match. Like I I thought that the shtick. I, I definitely could totally see why somebody was like, all right, this is weird that we're wasting a Shibata match on like dancing stuff. 
Um, but I did think it was entertaining, you know, and I do think it did, you know, it did tell a story, you know, you know, Shibata trying to like wake this kid up and be like, all right, come on, like, give me something here. And I agree with you. The highlight spot was definitely, um, as far as the shtick goes, at least was Garcia continuing to defiantly dance while cross-legged on the ground with Shibata. Um, and I liked that it did pick up the intensity. And so I thought it did both elements pretty well. And, I like that. But yeah, I think with Garcia, uh, just to talk about what's going on with him, because I actually, you know, with all the hype he got from being such a prodigy on the indies, I do think match-wise, he has been a, a tad disappointing in AEW, and I don't think it's it's his fault, really. I think it's the positions they put him in to not really be somebody who can have these just, like, truly great matches, except really the stuff that he got to do with Danielson last summer. That was, was, like, the only time he was really given the chance to have, like, true really good serious wrestling matches pretty much like with with any length of time given to them that's really much that's really like the only time he's given even been given that chance so they haven't really allowed him to sh show what he can do on that level and i thought that the stuff that they were doing last fall with garcia being you know choosing between danielson and jericho and you know sort of having an existential crisis about who he was going to be i thought that could have led to something interesting but I think what happened was he kind of stumbled upon this dancing stuff and it got over to a point, or at least it gets reactions. And I think he and, you know, the bookers and everybody else are just like, oh, yeah, let's just run with this. People like it. And I think he's just kind of going to be, like you said, doing that for a while because it's like, oh, you know, we got something here. And, you know, I don't know if that's what we would ideally like Daniel Garcia to be, but seems like. He thinks it's working, and Tony thinks it's working, and I guess that's just what he's going to be doing. Well, it feels very Jericho. Like, it does, you know, yeah. Jer that is a Jericho thing. If something works, he runs it into the ground, and that's why I say, like, he's obviously learning from, from Jericho. So the fact that it gets a reaction, <laughs> as you said, like, that's what he learned. Like, go with it, stick with it, and just do it, because it's, you know, it's getting over. And I guess you can't really complain about that, but sorry, Matt, I didn't cut you off there. You were were you done talking? No, no, about no. That? I was I was done. Yeah, I was done. Okay, cool. Yeah, I just again, I think the the Danielson thing. It's kind of interesting because you mentioned that and like having those matches with Danielson at all, and like that was the only time that he's really gotten to show off the prodigy that he was. It's like, as I said, it almost felt like, like it felt like, oh, that's the storyline is he's conflicted between the groups and this and that, but the series of matches with Danielson was almost like the waving goodbye to being that guy. Like I said, I just think like that was his farewell of being, you know, great wrestler, Daniel Garcia. Yeah. And now he's going on. And, and, his... and it's funny. And it's funny because like you said, he was influenced by Jericho, but it felt like, you know, even though it was the storyline, it was also the reality that like last summer, Danielson was like trying to pull him into like, no, this is what you should be doing. And yeah, I guess you know, like in storyline and also seemingly in real life, Garcia chose Jericho. <laughs> yeah, it seems like that's the way he's gone. Um, all right, follow this up. Trio's fight without honor. The Dark Order of Alex Reynolds, Evil Uno and John Silver versus the Righteous of Dutch Vincent and Stu Grayson. Um, this is kind of an interesting... I guess would not be what you would predict for an ROH show in a lot of ways, as we've talked about it, where the singles matches are not bad, but they're in some ways disappointing. They're not really clicking. And then like the big, crazy multi-person matches, 
with tons of spots and then this one with all the gimmicks and weapons and all this are the ones that are really kind of over delivering and i mean you know that is probably one of the biggest lies of the history of roh even from the beginning as matt you know like listening to the listening to throughout the years you talked about it and, and i think in a lot of ways people forget that roh its roots were were in ecw more than people like to think because just like the gimmick of like good wrestler like someone like lance storm being like my gimmick is i'm actually a better wrestler than everybody else on the show like it's it's still a gimmick like roh's gimmick was being like we're the wrestling company but then still had like the first thing on the first show is like you know gay bashing um so it's like yeah. and violence against women and you know all that stuff like is still completely there like roh has a history of tons of weapon brawls and violence and barbed wire matches and all that kind of stuff being a big part and, of and, and some and some of the best ones of the past 20 years at that you know yeah exactly so but it is like i said like on paper you think oh what's gonna what's gonna deliver on this show is gonna be the wrestling you know because it's roh but really what ends up delivering here is a lot of the gimmicks and the multi-mans and this was one that i think Another part of it that helps is I think that those matches were not being held to the standard. I think that no one was expecting, I don't think anyone was expecting anything out of this. In fact, I think a lot of people were kind of down on this match and thinking this is going to suck, you know, because what's the Dark Order? All oh, their comedy goofs, all oh, the righteous, that stupid thing, you know, from from uh, ROH and then TNA and then they were supposed to go to WWE and then they didn't and Vincent the Balloon Guy, oh, let's make fun of that, you know, but like all of these guys are immensely talented. They beat the piss out of each other. They got all the gimmicks. They hit them at the right spots. Tons of cool, wild shit. Like, this This rocked. And, and as I said, I think part of it is that it was not going to be held to a high standard of expectation. No one came into this expecting a ma the match of the night. And it wasn't the match of the night. But it was tons of fun. Everything was, like, you know, really, really violent. And there wasn't, like... A ton of stupid contrived stuff even with getting like tables and ladders involved like they did a pretty good thing which is like when grayson was taking all kinds of time to set stuff up and get the ladder he ends up getting forded and takes a gigantic bump through the tables on his own as the ladder gets pushed over on him which i think is a good thing to do when something like that is taking a ton of time um so it doesn't it's not like uno's just laying there forever um, but yeah, you know, like I said, tons of fun. That said, like, I don't think I'll remember this match because there's just been so much violence and gimmick and matches like this throughout the year. Like, I just, I just don't think, uh, this is going to stand out at the end of the year in any kind of list or anything. And, um, and yeah, but, uh, but Matt, what did you think about, uh, about this, uh, fight without honor? Yeah, I don't think I'll put it on like a list of match of the year, but I think I will remember it just because I was, you know, just from being there live. I think it was a pretty memorable experience. I think it was probably the most consistently like hot match of the night in terms of crowd reactions and stuff. Um, you know, nothing is more depressing to me than a brawl where guys are killing themselves and the crowd is not with it. You know, and I've seen a lot of those over the years. Um, people, you know, they're just they're they're walking around doing these big crazy spots, and the crowd goes ah, and then they get quiet again. And this, you know, immediately passed that test. The crowd was super excited for this once they got going. And you know, I haven't been following the you know the Dark Order explodes storyline that closely, but you don't really have to. I mean, you get the the gist 
you know that Stu Grayson was a big part of the Dark Order. You know, tag team with Uno for years, and so they're they're having their big blow off match. I mean, I think that's really all you needed to know to get involved in the emotional stakes of the match. And you know, I you know I we haven't really gotten a lot of John Silver on AEW TV in recent times. And there was a while where he was one of the most consistently entertaining guys on that show. And I think he showed why here. You know, he still has a lot of charisma. They did a really great job with timing the escalation of the big spots, you know, when it comes to the ladders, the thumbtacks, the Legos, all that stuff. There, you know, there were a couple of pet peeves I had in the crowd, which is just like the we want such and such, you know, instead of just watching the stuff they were doing. You know, when they got to the point where they were like, we want fire, which I know they had also done during the Blood and Guts match. Uh, a couple nights earlier, it's just like, all right, like, relax, just watch the match. It, ma- it made me feel. It makes me feel bad for the wrestlers when the crowd does that because I I knew they weren't going to produce fire at at that point, but um, but it didn't last long. And the uh, they, you know, they got into all the spots they did do, and I think the match ended at the right time. I'm always scared when someone takes a backwards bump off a ladder. You know, that just always seems like the margin of error is just too small. Um, but seems like everything worked out okay so yeah i i really loved it i thought it was a lot of fun and yeah probably not the match of the night but if someone were to say it was i wouldn't think they were insane or anything yeah well that as you talked about everything being different earlier on like that's another like you can't account for taste so if this kind of match speaks to you because it was very unique in that way then yeah like i could see it being your match of the night but quentin what did you think of the uh the trios fight without honor yeah, so if someone called it match of the night, I wouldn't really think they're crazy because, like, you know, like, uh, like Matt, like Matt said there, this was the maybe the hottest match of the night, like consistently. Maybe not like the biggest reaction or whatever, but in terms of just people being into it the whole time, this was really fun and entertaining throughout, and the crowd was super into it. So I liked it. I think the thing with this story is like. You like you you like you like everyone knows Dark Order and like you was and if you're some level of a fan of whether it's just AEW or before when it came to like Evil Uno and Stu like you know how long these guys have been teaming teaming together so like you don't have to really know this like the nuts and bolts and, and ins and outs of, and, and like ins and outs of this story to like be involved in it because it's just like. One, this guy left the group and is fighting against him. And two, like, this is fighting against his tag team partner of, like, over a decade. So that kind of, like, tells itself without having to do a ton there with, like, the week-to-week storytelling or paying attention to it. So, like, it's a great match to just, like, jump into with, like, the bare-bones idea of someone left Dark Order and now they're fighting each other. So you don't get lost in the nuance or story of the match there and they just go out there and just have a really fun bloody brawl like you know john silver is someone that matt just that matt mentioned there as well that seemed like he was pegged to have some momentum in aw and it just didn't pan out but like he's always been very but he's always been very good so anything with him is gonna have like a certain floor of hey like john silver matches only reach it only 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 get so bad you know, like he he's just a, a good match machine. And then like everyone else in here is good. Everyone else in here is good too. Like I don't love Dutch and Vincent, but like they're serviceable in situations like this. When they were doing stuff with the kingdom, like their best stuff like comes in situations like this where they can just be like chaotic and 
crazy and bleeding and using tables and chairs and having this tornado tornado rule stuff. So I thought it was very fun. Uh, just a nice bloody car crash and some good spots. And, you know, if, if you're not watching week to week and you're not watching Honor Club, then you're not super lost on this. So I, th- I think this match was a win. And if someone said this was match match of the night, like I wouldn't agree with them, but I don't think it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, the uh, ROH world title match uh, in the second to the top here, Claudio Castagnoli going up against Pac. Um, what the fuck was this finish? Like, Quentin, I didn't realize Pac was still Dreamgate champion. Like, what the fuck is this finish? What's going on here? Um, like, yeah. I don't know. That... I don't fucking get it. <laughs> but, like, the thing of it is, is that as we've talked about it, like, so many finishes on this show were kind of like this. Like, not as fucky but in some of them it's like still like fluky and fucky in a way where as matt mentioned a few times already and we've all i've kind of echoed enough like stuff that's just meant to be setting up things for aew or protecting people for aew or you know protecting people because they're losing the tag titles but they're still going to be a featured act so you don't want them to get pinned like like a lot of that kind of stuff going on here to, does make it go like, okay, this finish doesn't stand out. But I just thought like, it's so funny that we had that long fucking title reign where Pac was like, just would not job if, if for anyone. and was just doing tons of stupid bullshit finishes. And it's like, oh, he's back and he's doing bullshit finishes again. That's weird. Um, I don't know what it was. These guys have really good chemistry with each other. Um, They both were about as good as they ever are right here consummate really consummate professional types like pack and and claudio are you know two of the real like best just like highest floor kind of guys you really do not see them ever have bad performances but that said this match really kind of felt like it was missing a spark for me um there was just not just didn't really it felt like it just didn't get out of gear like it never really grabbed me it never really sucked me in um, it just kind of felt like an exhibition of two insanely talented, insanely jacked wrestlers hitting some cool spots, but we just never got a narrative. I thought really just a lot of kind of back and forth. Um, and yeah, just didn't, didn't feel like a big title match. Didn't, you know, and then, like I said, the finish really hurt it. Cause you're already kind of, to me in a way feeling like, okay, this is just like a, an exhibition match. And then you have this fluke, weird, stupid finish, which I get it. And like, I do think a lot of people were a little bit like off on, on their read or maybe just didn't realize. But to me, I like, I completely understood the finish, which is not that it was not a distraction finish. It was not an interference finish, whatever it was. It was Yuta was coming out to stop pack from taking off the turnbuckle. So he was, he was stopping him from cheating. So it was still, it was not like, like Yuta was a bad guy coming out here to distract and help Cesaro win. Like Pac was trying to cheat. Right. So I just, I kind of got that. And I think that a lot of people kind of overlooked that detail of it when talking about the match. Um, And then the post-match, I really liked orange Cassidy putting the tape on his fist as he was coming uh, out the ramp. It just reminded me of like hacksaw, Jim Duggan kind of old school um, thing but yeah then like just hitting the big orange punches and all that like the post-match stuff was like interesting the way that they did it i think they were really trying to like milk it for like as you watch it unfold um i don't know if it the execution was perfect but it worked 
Um, but yeah, Quentin, what did you think about uh, about Pack and Cesaro here for the ROH World Title? Yeah, it's it's a, it's a weird thing where like both of these guys are still incredible wrestlers, but I didn't really get super into it, and I'm not and I'm not sure what it was about this match. I don't think there was like anything I can point to like structurally or layout wise that was the reasoning. But like for like as flawless mechanically as this was, I just didn't get into this. And like it it, it doesn't help things when you have that when you have a finish like that. And that's the second one on this show of the pretty much the exact same nature. And then you have this prolonged aftermatch angle to go to go along with it. So like I really wanted to like this and like I do, and I think I wanted to love it, but like I didn't get to a point where I could feel the way about the match. And I was kind of let down by that. So maybe if I watch it again with a different set of eyes and maybe like lower expectations, then I can say, I can like come back and like appreciate it more. But I think my, my expectation might've been like a bit high for this, which is no, it's fair. It's fucking pack and Claudio. Like I, I, I feel like I was fair or justified having like pretty high expectations for this, but it just didn't kind of meet that for me. And it, it, it's not, it's not helped by how much I didn't like the finish and that and like the aftermatch angle. Yeah, Matt. What did you think about the uh, about the match here? Um, well, live, I thought it was it was it was pretty good. It was or like you know like low grade, I would say. Um, the only thing I didn't like really was the finish. Um, I like you know the Claudio started out hot. It made the match feel different, you know, by hitting the the neutralizer right away, and you know that surprise military press through the table on the floor. And by the way, like from where I was sitting, I couldn't really see the table was there. So I was like. Did, pack just like totally flop on the floor like it was pretty pretty crazy and yeah i really like the big moves down the stretch the finish you know i get what you're saying about how it was yuda trying to stop pack from cheating but for that not to feel like a fuck finish it would have to come not immediately after that you know like yuda stops pack from cheating and then they do some more stuff and then Claudio wins, then it wouldn't really feel like a screw job finish. Whereas the fact that Yuta's there and then instantly Claudio hits the Ricola bomb and gets the win, that's where it made it feel like just an interference finish, even if that's not technically what it was. You know what I mean? Um Oh yeah, definitely. But but the uh the post match, you know, I, I I'm I'm still not crazy about the idea of them, you know, booking these pay-per-view matches to set up AEW TV, but I didn't mind it such as it was. I thought it was exciting. And I thought it did echo some stuff that Gabe would do back in like the 04 era where they're, you know, and, and obviously that ECW would do too. We're just like so many guys would intermingle at the end and get involved and start brawling and, you know, say what you want, but Orange Cassidy probably got the biggest pop of the show because for one, he's a big star. And for two, people did not expect him to be there. So he got a really, really huge response from that crowd. So, uh, you know, I guess that worked for people too. But, but overall, I, I, I like the match a lot. I thought, I thought it was really good. Yeah, I think me and Quentin both are kind of saying good match. Technically, it was good, you know, but just didn't. I don't know. For me, I was just missing something emotionally connected. Like when Pac was going for the brutalizer over and over again, that was kind of the most engaged I was in the match. I liked that because it felt like there was some struggle and there was some, something there um either way main event first the, the, i think they're saying first time ever 
women main eventing an ROH show. Um, I'm almost positive that's true, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely deserve it uh, with just how great Athena has been. Um, Matt, I guess you guys on through the years, you haven't quite gotten into the era where there's been a ton of Women of Honor matches, right? There's been like maybe a handful that you've reviewed on the show so far? Yeah, very, very few so far. And, you know, most of them were in the era where they were treated like an afterthought or, or like, you know, condescended to or creeped on, you know, there's been a couple in that Oh five Oh six era. Once praise act was on commentary where they were treated mildly respectfully, but I think we get a few more starting like late Oh six into Oh seven. Once Sarah Del Rey becomes a bigger part of the show. Yeah. But you know, either way, I know that you still watched like that era of ROH and went to the shows and stuff. So, so the kind of the callbacks and the references in here, I think would not be lost on you necessarily. So Matt, what was your thoughts on this uh, ROH women's title main event, Athena versus Willow Nightingale? Yeah. I mean, like I was like, you know, live, you know, you're so engaged in the match that like, I I didn't notice every single callback and reference that they did in real time, you know, like some of the stuff I'm like, Oh yeah. You know, once I read recaps and stuff, you know, I was just, I was just into it. And and everyone was into it. And I, uh, you know, people, I mean, Willow felt like such a star coming out. And I guess, you know, part of it is, you know, she's from New York. This was Jersey, you know, not super far. So I think there was an element of like home region stuff, but also she's just getting over everywhere. And, um, you know, they'd already had one good match together and this was a great match. And obviously Athena has been, you know, doing really, really well since her ROH title run began. I'd say on that, ROH tapings that I saw in April, her match was definitely the highlight. And it came, you know, really late in a long taping where everybody was completely exhausted and wasn't really paying attention to anything, but she got them to pay attention. So, you know, she's been absolute, you know, you know, no pun intended champion since uh, this ROH run began. And so, yes, they absolutely deserve the main event. And, you know, the way they escalated things, you know the, the finish with uh, Willow struggling to to get to the ropes and eventually you know passing out. You know my only the only thing that disappointed me about it because it was such a great match was I'm just I've seen so many of these matches where the crowd really wants a babyface to win and they just don't. And I I know this was a little different than like I don't know Roman Reigns and Cody or even Eddie and. Claudio and that they haven't been like building to this one moment for such a long time. You know, Willow still has time to build that momentum to where people really want to see her win. But man, it would have been so great if she had just gotten that big win right there. Um, you know, and Athena definitely deserves to still be on top and everything like that. I'm not saying she doesn't, but just in the moment, I really, really wanted Willow to win. And it just felt like one disappointing babyface loss too many for me this year between uh, so many of these big shows but man what a great match and uh you know what uh you know what a star athena is yeah it's kind of interesting for you to even mention it in that regard because it does you know obviously willow is a pure babyface and people are behind her in a big way and want her to win but this match for everything that's been great about the Athena title reign, which has been a lot of the heel tactics, she really did not feel like she leaned in super hard into being a heel here. So it did not feel like a deflating, you know, heel win 
over a love baby face, but it did. I, I still agree with what you're, you know, kind of your sentiments yeah. there, but yeah. And then yeah. the crowd wasn't like walking out being like, Oh, that was bullshit or anything like that. You know, they were sad when Athena, when Willow lost, but then, you know, they got over it and were, you know, cheered her as she walked out and stuff. So it's not like this was like a crowd killer or anything like that. Sure. Sure. Um, Quentin, what did you think about uh, Athena versus Willow here? Yeah. So like, other than like the match being great and the kind of like big baby face story and, uh, stuff I was looking for, like I love when finishers are protected, and love how protected the one winged angel has been for the last few years, and love how protected the O face has been during this run for Athena in AEW and uh, Ring of Honor. Like I like that. So when they gave Willow the uh the O face kick out, that really popped me, and I loved seeing that. And at that point, I thought that Willow would win the match, and it kind of goes to. Matt's point of man, just how many times now are we gonna be in these positions where an act is really over, or re- or the the fans are invested in a certain outcome of the story, and like it just doesn't happen. And obviously, like they can always give Willow the win at some point, and the crowd's gonna react to it. Like I just believe that the moment is the moment sometimes, and this felt like the moment like athena's been dominant athena athena's been winning and super organically willow has rose up through the ranks just everywhere she's been whether it was roh or new japan strong or aew she's just been getting over everywhere and become super undeniable and this felt like the moment and i'm a believer in that that exists sometimes and that i think that is better to do it than try to wait and thinking that you're going to be able to just, Oh, we can pull the trigger anytime. Like you're not going to be able to do, and I don't, you know, just go, just comparison of like a bubble title matches or whatever. But like, you're not going to be able to do like an Okada Naito every single time. We're like in the moment, it's like, Oh man, this is like a catastrophic miscalculation. This is really fucking dumb. Why would they not do it? Then it still works two years later. Like, you're not always going to get that, and I'm not saying it's as ex- it's that extreme in the case of Athena and Willow, but I believe in right place, right time, and right outcome, and listening to what the fans want and what has momentum, and there's no issue with, like, prolonging a story and making the fans want it more. I just think that as we talked about with Ring of Honor and how Ring of Honor has these issues, has these problems, and runs pay-per-views uh quarterly uh, at best right that when you have a chance to do something with the state that the company's in right now you have to do it or you pretty much just entirely missed the boat on making a moment that people would actually talk about and care about because what like what are we gonna wait to now for the next ring of honor pay-per-view like i would think there's one between now and final battle but there very likely could not be one. Yeah, I don't think there is. Yeah, like the, like so like what so at that point what is just final battle? So if Willow won the title, would you put it on Rampage? Would you put it on Collision? Would you have her win it on a random dynamite match? I mean, that's possible, but do I rule it out that if Willow won the belt that it would just be on some Ring of Honor TV taping? Like I I I don't. I I, I don't rule it out. And 
that's why it's just like, man, like when you have these limited opportunities with these pay-per-views, with these streams where everybody is watching it, and if something has momentum, something has eyes on it, you have this big main event match going on that's historic that, that's historic and people care about for those different reasons, and you don't go with it, like again, I, I don't get what we're doing here because it's like a layup of all layups. Like it's just, it's just right there. So great match. Loved it. Especially loved it down the stretch. Willow's an incredible baby face. I love how vicious and ferocious Athena is. And they just bounce off of each other really well. The spot where Athena deadlifted Willow into the power bomb is just fucking wild. Right? Like there's a lot to love here, but like, dude, like you only get so many of these chances. Like, Willow should have just fucking won. And we've seen so many of this this year, like specifically, just so many examples of this exact thing that like it just it, it got to be in the moment. It was just like, I don't know. It's like these these boogers have internalized this idea of like, you know, oh man, what heat, what heat it'll be when you take it away. Like you could just picture Paul Heyman like describing to some like WWE documentarian like the moment where it's like, you know, and then and they wanted it so bad, but then you take it away from them. You know, it's just like, and it's like, yeah, that sounds great, but sometimes also you give the people the win that they want when they want it, right? And I feel like these days, for some reason, bookers just forget that part. Like, a lot of the big moments in wrestling was the baby face winning exactly when people wanted them to win. Imagine if Stone Cold Steve Austin, like, didn't win at WrestleMania 14. They were like, oh, man, wouldn't want to you just make them want it even that much more if he loses you know it, i mean it just it seems absurd right so sometimes yeah. you just have to have the baby face win and it seems like it just never happens um you know the only time i could think of this year where they really gave the baby faces a big win was the tag team titles at wrestlemania with zane and owens but like zane against reigns in montreal cody against reigns in in la Eddie against Claudio in, uh, you know, uh, in LA, you know, Mark Briscoe and Samoa Joe was another example. That last show was like downer city. This one wasn't quite as bad as yeah, that. But, but, you forget but fucking Mark Briscoe and Samoa Joe. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I mean, I hope, I hope that they put Eddie over Claudio at AW Grand Slam at least. But shit, at this point, even if they booked that match at Grand Slam, I'd be like, Fuck, they might just have Eddie do the job again and save it for final battle. You know, just because that's just what it is now. Like, give somebody a big baby face singles win when people really want it. Like, some booker, please, I'm begging you. Just, like, don't forget that's a thing that people like in wrestling. Yeah, I mean, the Willow, Willow is such a great example of this because she got the big win for the New Japan Strong title, but it was, like, an accident. It was an injury. Yeah, by accident. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it was like they were not going to book that. And like, I think sure people would have popped for uh, Mercedes Monet winning the title, but it wouldn't have been the same thing that you're talking about with just like give them a big baby face win to make people happy. It would not have been that. It would have been, you know, oh, the big star won, but she's not necessarily the baby face that people are rooting for. Um, so yeah, it, it, that is for sure like an issue. Um, and it is. You know, ROH ROH has a history of not pulling the trigger on time, right? Like that's a that's the you know the ROH thing that happened for for a very long time with the titles just never 
but, um, but a couple times they did. Like, Homicide had yeah. to be Brian Danielson at Final Battle 2006, and so he did. Even though they knew they weren't going to really give Homicide a real title reign, it's like, you got to at least give people the moment, sure. you know, yeah, the catharsis yeah, the thing sometimes. Is like, it's like, even if, if for some reason you don't think Willow is someone that you want leading your women's division, right? Which would be insane to think. But even if you don't think that that is, the, that is your plan, you just have her win the fucking match. Like, yep. Like, exactly. like, like, even say something like, like, say, like, let's even do um, Swerve in Our Glory versus versus the Acclaimed. Like, they saw immediately how over the Acclaimed were when they did All Out, and they said, "Huh, okay." Didn't really think that would happen. Not you know that that but that wasn't really the goal or the plan here. But Acclaimed were super fucking over this insanely good match. Immediately, hey, you know what we should do. Let's do that a few weeks later. Let's do that a month later, so like we can capitalize off of how hot this act is because they're super popular right now. And granted, again, Ring of Honor is not in a position where like the stakes are super duper high. People drop in, they watch these pay per views for the most part. Maybe don't really care about these storylines, but they can drop in and have some fun with, and have some fun with these shows. So story wise, okay, maybe just not a thing worth getting upset about, but. I want Ring of Honor to be good. I would like Tony to delegate more responsibility to other people because clearly he has a lot on his plate between fucking Rampage, Collision, and Dynamite that, hey, maybe if you let some other people deal with Ring of Honor more, we could get some more stories or whatever figured out. But hey, if this is just this fucking ghost promotion right now where there is some good wrestling, fine. But when you have a layup like that, right in front of you and you're already in close to willow's backyard you know she's gonna be over just do the fucking athena's gotten out of this already athena's done everything that she can with that she has gotten more popular than she had but than she has been more rave reviews than she's gotten before the best that she's ever been hey i think it's probably best hey let's let's bring athena back up up to full swing to the aw women's division like let's maybe build around athena now since she proved how good she can be with the with the roh women's title I don't get it. I don't understand yeah. it. And like the more I talk about it, the more it frustrates me. But like I, I don't want to get I don't want it to get lost that like yeah. this is a really good match. The more I hear you talk about it, the more it frustrates me too. And the thing is, they knew they knew Willow would be hugely over because they knew enough to put this in the main event. So that tells you right there. It's not like this came yeah. as some shock to them that the crowd would really want this. So I think that's another mark in the favor of, yeah, they should have just put her over. Yeah, and and Quentin, what you said there, and like really hit the nail on the head. It was something that had crossed my mind a little bit. Like Athena is not really going to build much further. Like she's established. This reign is established. Like she's over. There's you're not going to really get much more out of this for her. So she really would not lose anything dropping the title here. Um, and it would be a huge thing for Willow, who's a big part of Willow's issue is that like she continuously feels like they're not getting behind her and in this even if it is the roh women's side oh whatever it's the main event and it would feel like yeah they actually are going to stick with this and do something with her you know especially because the fluke win of the strong title the way she's been booked all this and that like it just comes across like uh, whatever um but in another example of joseph kind of disagreeing with my opinion but wording it and and you know, showing the work so well that like I can't help but like say begrudgingly kind of hand it to him. 
Um, his video that he made kind of about the Willow versus Athena feud, comparing it to Athena and Asuka feud is really, really good. And the way that he breaks it down, it makes sense because Joseph's got his own kind of logic on, on what he likes about wrestling. And a lot of times I feel like he likes things that are a little bit more of what Matt was talking about, that yearning and just never giving it. Um, and the the way that those things mirror was really neat in the fact that Athena, Ember Moon, she never got the win over Asuka. Um, and so to kind of relate that to here, where it's like Willow is, doesn't get the big win over Ember, um, it does kind of... It did kind of... I did kind of like the way that he explained it and kind of compared can, can it I, to can I say something now? Rivalry. Yeah, please. Athena should have beat Asuka. It was dumb that Asuka went fair, up to the... Like, fair. Like, again, I get it. They did push Asuka, like, pretty hard when, like, Asuka went up to the main roster. But losing to Athena would not have fucking mattered. Losing to Ember would not have mattered if you're still going to go up there and push Asuka as, like, this super dominant threat of a like threat and force in a women's division as soon as she comes up there it wouldn't have mattered because still you have to build around ember once oscar's gone she so like she'll like she wants she's champion basically because oscar no longer wanted to be there that doesn't make ember look strong it doesn't make anyone look strong it makes you look like oh man you know you're second best you're second best that's that's cool you know oscar's gone she's gonna go do other stuff so you can have the belt now like that doesn't make anyone look stronger so in a world where, say, that played out the exact same way, right? In a world where Willow doesn't beat Athena to win the title, it wouldn't make any fucking sense. And, like, there would be an initial pop, sure. But, like, what the fuck was the point? What was the point of any of this, any of this story, if the point isn't, hey, the babyface eventually wins? Like, and I'm cool with sad stories. I'm cool with, like, stories where, like, the good guy doesn't win. I'm fine with that. We're wrestling fans. The, not the good guy is not going to win every single time. Like, I love Asuka and Bailey for that reason. I love the Asuka and Bailey series from 2016 because of that reason of, like, oh, like, Bailey fires up and you want to see her overcome this. And, like, we knew that Bailey was moving up, so that's why. But still, the way it played out, like, you didn't get that happy ending because Asuka was just way too fucking good for her. Just way too good. Like, like Oscar just said, hey, you know what? I don't, want, I don't want this belt anymore. I don't even want it. I just don't want this belt. And then Ember wins it. It did nothing for her. Absolutely nothing. It did absolutely zero for, for Ember. So, like, I would reject that idea because, like, Oscar should have lost to Ember in the first place. I, uh, I don't disagree that, you know, she should have. But at the same time, kind of the argument is it it just it's that way sometimes and we see it in mma you see it in real sports as well where sometimes someone is just second best you know i always think of like dc and and john jones like cormier is as good as he is but he could never beat jones right and like when he did get the title that doesn't like you said it like it still lingers over him and it continued to linger over the rest of his career as a fighter that like yeah you're the champion but you're second best and like, even if that's not satisfying, like I said, it's like real. And that, again, I see the other side of the argument, right? Which is that wrestling is fake. So you don't have to do stuff like that that's disappointing. Um, because or, you can or, or I it. feel like you have the luxury of doing that when you have more people on the, in the wings. Like, sure. if, again, like, let's take like this NXT analogy for or whatever, for example. Like, if you have um, Candice LeRae and 
Nikki Cross and um like who like I forget who else will even still be there at that point, right? Like if you have other people that you could maybe eventually give that story to, give that win to, then I'm fine with that. That makes sense. I can understand that. But as it's currently constructed, I don't see anyone in which they are like using or building in that way in which they're going to do something like that again when I feel like Willow is so clearly the answer. So I feel like you have that wiggle room when there's more choices, more options that make sense. I don't think in this case that there are options other than Willow that make sense. That's fair. Um, Matt, do you have any other <laughs> thoughts on any of this? Do you want to complain and gripe some more with us? Um, no, I mean, I just... Um... The the idea of like that sometimes things are disappointing in life. I I think it's okay to have storylines like that in wrestling. I, I I sort of am of the point of view that that should be like rare, and you know when it's with like it's a really special story and it's just you know if Paul Heyman wants to always talk about how much he loved the fact that Tommy Dreamer would never get his win on Raven. And it's like okay, you know that's cool. You told a special unique story that people remember you know many years later that's fine that shouldn't be like the normal way baby faces are booked though over you know eventually you want to believe in a baby face and if it's a big enough baby face and it's someone with a lot of potential like willow you don't want to cut them off at the knees when they're building momentum you know or you know same thing you know or you're, you're telling an emotional story about mark briscoe you know um you know coming you know coming back after the uh, the tragic death of his brother it's okay to let them have a feel good win. I don't think anybody, you know, I don't think for the case of Athena or in the case of Samoa Joe there, either would have been hurt too badly by losses. I just think that, you know, sometimes people try to make things more complicated than it is. And a lot of the fun of wrestling is to, you know, yes, see your hero struggle, but eventually you want to also see them succeed sometimes. So I think that just things have been going too far in the direction of let's get the heat and the the big payoff doesn't always come the way it used to. So I don't know, maybe things are just changing and I'm old, but I still feel like it's okay and good to have baby faces get big wins sometimes. Yeah, I uh, I have to say I agree, and I, I think I'm with you guys, uh, both of you, um, in that Willow should have just won here. But it is what it is. We'll move on and move forward. The only thing I could possibly see is like the idea that Willow's going to do more on the main roster in AEW. So as you talked about, what really would she do with the ROH title, like defend it on ROH TV on the Honor Club, or and then at Final Battle, it's not like a ton there. So either way... Um, well, I hope I hope at least that like in terms of the AEW women's title, I hope they at least give like Jamie Hader a big win in England if she's ready to come back. That would be nice. That would be nice. Um, oh, the, yeah, we can we can only we can only hope. Yeah, we can only hope that we get something as we you know we're gonna get uh, or big, any matches at all in England at this point. That would be nice. But. Well, there's the big rumor. I don't know if you saw it today. The leak about Osprey's big match for England. He's going to be on. I, was, yeah. I, 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 was I know you'll love. I know you'll love that one. I was going to use that for my for my for my closing bit there. So you just oh, like... please do. Well, I guess Matt, if you have anything uh, else you want to say before we head out, and I guess plugs or about about about, like about, about, oh, about the show about the show overall. Um, oh, well, sure. I would say like yeah, I um, 
I, I wasn't always crazy about the booking, but I really did think that the show had a lot of good matches on it. Like top to bottom, like I said, there was really nothing where I was like, I just wish I hadn't seen that match. Um, I enjoyed everything. A couple of the matches I thought were like pretty great. So top to bottom, I thought this was a, a damn good show. Maybe, maybe even the best top to bottom, you know, certainly not the highest peaks, but the best top to bottom of the Tony Khan booked ROH shows. I'm trying to think, I, I think it probably was in, at least for me, just as match quality. I thought it was very consistent. Yeah. I have to say that's probably correct. Quentin, do you have any final thoughts on the show you wanted to get out there? Uh, no, I'm going to say enjoy, enjoyable show other than like the, uh, frustration with some things aside, but, uh, Matt, thank you for joining us for tonight. Yeah, to, uh, thank you to, so much. To, uh, and uh, if you wanted to go ahead and plug your Twitter or anything else before we head out of here, then feel free to. Um, yeah, well, so, uh, you know, obviously uh, my, my podcast is through the years. Uh, I'm the co-host. The real host is Trevor Dame, the world famous Trevor Dame. Um, I am just the guy that uh, is an albatross around his neck and keeps him from achieving his great greatest potential. But it's still oh, a lot Jesus. of fun. And if... We review old ROH and, uh, you know, chronologically from the beginning. So if you have any interest in that era or you watch that era, I think you probably have interest in the show. Um, my Twitter handle is at Mayor MGF. I'm also on Blue Sky now, a same handle at Mayor MGF. Uh, Trevor Dames is at Trevor Dame. Um, and the podcast is through the years spelled T-H-R-O-H the years, if you're interested. And thank you once again for join for joining us. You can follow me on Twitter at QT underscore Moody. You can follow Tim at ROH Dutch. You can follow the podcast network at WDKWPN. If you're feeling kind to us, you can donate to us on coffee and fund our our mission to just not get Will Ospreay and Chris Jericho to happen. I mean, <laughs> guys, to be this, this is an act of terrorism. This is blatantly an attack on tim and my entire friend group to even book such a thing such a thing this is disgusting and truly reprehensible behavior here and if we can do anything to make that match not happen i think that we should all band together and do so so donate to us on coffee thank you all for listening hope you're here next time Get the hazard, get the baby's mind. Ooh, get the good stuff, get the ghetto, ito, ito, ito.